Hi, this is Randall Schwartz, host of Floss Weekly. This week, Aaron Newcomb joins me to talk about the Joggit workflow, which takes all your paperwork and eliminates it. Well, that sounds like fun. You'll want to hear about this, so stay tuned. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Aaron Newcomb. Episode 157 for March 16th, 2011. Jogget Workflow. Floss Weekly is brought to you by MailRoute. MailRoute protects you from spam viruses. Visit MailRoute.info for a 10% discount for the life of your account. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show about free Libre open source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz, Merlin at StunHinge.com, trying as often as I can to get in front of the mic, get in front of the camera, and talk to you about open source software that I find interesting, projects, people, movers, shakers, a project you probably haven't heard of, which is the most fun for me because it means I can bring in a whole new audience to a whole lot of really cool uh, ideas and projects and stuff. If you're watching the video, you can see that once again, yes, I'm here with the big blue Yeti mic, and for those of you listening, you can probably tell the richness of the tones and stuff like that. So that's really nice. And for those of you who are looking behind me on the video, this that's the Mount Hood uh, um, stained glass that I'm so happy and proud of and will be going away soon. Still, not quite yet. Uh, but I should stop talking and bring in my co-host. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Yep. Good to be back again. Always Alrighty. glad to be here. And you have the much better mic because, of course, you're in the Twit Cottage and uh, I'm not. I'm back <laughs> in my house, so that's the way that works. Uh, I don't know if you can see on the camera, too, Aaron. I'm a little tanner than normal because last week was a cruise, and I keep forgetting that, you know, even if there's clouds, there's still a lot of sun coming through, so I keep getting redder and redder on every one of these things. So if you're looking at the, the video and I look a little bit off color, it really is me. It's what I look like in real life here. I noticed crazy. that. I wasn't sure if you were tan or you just been drinking this morning. Uh, I try not to drink before 10 a.m. So, oh, it's 10.46, time we get going. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, as we often say. There you go. Nope, nope, no drinking this morning. Not yet, anyway. Uh, maybe right after this, given how crazy this one's been. Uh, I, 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 I want to bring on my, the, the talk about today's guest, which is really an interesting project. I, it looks like a big scoped project, you know, enterprise level stuff. Uh, it's called the Jogget or Jogget or Yogget, one of those. I don't quite know which. We'll have to figure out which one that is, but one in the show. But... Uh, it's basically a workflow manager, and, and workflow means something where you have, you know, somebody fills out a form, and somebody else has to approve it, and then somebody else probably has to double approve it, and then it needs like triple redundant approval, and then finally the thing actually gets done, you know, like a typical large organization would have. And it looks like this thing's going to be able to automate that. We have a couple guys. We have Michael Yap, who's the CEO of of, of the Jogit company, I think it is Jogit Workflow, based out of Sunnyvale. So we'll talk to him about how this all fits together. And all the way from someplace across the international dateline, we have. Uh, Tian Soon La, who is one of the community leaders, uh, technical consultant uh, of the Jogger Workflow. So we're going to bring them both on in a few minutes. First off, though, I want to say uh, just, you know, a lot of stuff's happened in, in, in real time over the last week since the last show. And I just want to say uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to those people in Japan who are, are enduring this ongoing disaster. And, it's, you know, it's bad enough to have like a Katrina or a Three Mile Island or a apocalypse. But to have them all at once, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I'm, I'm, I just want to say, um, you know, uh, my thoughts and prayers going out to you guys. Um, 
And also what I have to say uh, is that I have a sponsor for this week's show. I love this. This is great. So I'm our sponsor is MailRoute.info, and I appreciate that because I'm actually now a user. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, what it says here for me to say is businesses of every size use MailRoute. So one user, 50,000 users, it doesn't matter. MailRoute will protect you from spam and viruses and simplify your life and make your email usable again. MailRoute is a secure hosted service that filters viruses and spam for companies of any size, whether you're a single user or a company with tens of thousands of employees. MailRoute can eliminate viruses and spam, reduce the load on your email server, lower your costs, and make your email usable again. Typical MailRoute customers see a 95% reduction in their inbound email volume with virtually no false positives. Uh, Leo loves MailRoute. He's been using the service for his domains for more than six years, and MailRoute has been his top choice for spam and virus filtering all along. And because of the, how much Leo was actually aiming for having MailRoute and using and talking about how great it was, I decided also, since I was reading this ad copy over and over again, that I would also send it for MailRoute. Did it just a few weeks ago. I tell you, everything that I was doing internally in my servers are now pushed off. So I don't even get the email at my servers anymore. They're doing all the filtering for me. They're taking care of that. And they're also doing things I couldn't do just being one server. You can look and see a pattern across all their machines and everything and stuff. I can't do it all. So I'm really appreciating what MailRoute does for me. I'm a happy customer already. It was really easy to set up. So uh, check it out. There's nothing easier for mail filtering than MailRoute. There's no hardware or software to install. You just sign up with MailRoute. You have to change your MX record. So it's a little technical, a little geeky. But if you have MX records for your domain, you simply point them at them instead of you, and it starts your mail flowing through them, and then they do all the work for you. So MailRoute.info, sign up. Check out MailRoute.info because as a Twit listener, you're going to receive a 10% discount for the life of your account. It's not just a simple one-month deal. You get 10% off for the life of your account. Small business accounts start at $2 per user per month for 10 users. And because the demand from the Twit army, MailRoute also has a new service for individual users as well. Less than $30 per user per year for single users. Visit info and sign up with the email filtering service that Tom and Leo and Randall use. And now, uh, do you have anything to say about our guests before we uh, bring them on? Well, I do. I have a little bit of exposure to this just because I've been uh, involved with enterprise IT uh, uh, for quite a while. So, I, you know, I've, I've seen workflow. I've seen, it, I've seen it when it works well. I've seen it when it doesn't work well. So I'm kind of interested to see what the Jogget folks bring to the equation that's maybe a little different than what I've seen in the past. Yeah, it's such, it's such a complex field, and I know there's a lot of enterprise people in this area, and I know there's some open source solutions for it, but it'll be interesting to see what they're, what they're bringing to the picture. So I'm sure we're going to ask a lot of questions about that. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our guests. I guess we're speaking to uh, one Michael Yap from somewhere in the Bay Area. Hello, Michael. Hi, Randall. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and good to see you on the show. I'm uh, glad we finally got a chance to talk to you about uh, your, your project. But before we do that, let's go ahead and bring on a very far away person from across the timeline that... International Dateline, whatever that thing's called out there. We've got, um, see if I can pronounce this right, Chinsun Law. Can you say yeah. hi? Hi. Is hey, a, good. good night to me at the moment. And yes. uh, I'm usually living in Kuala Lumpur, one of the cities in Southeast yeah. Asia. He will take me about 20 hours to fly to the Bay Area. But well, we won't uh, have you do that. It seems the magic that. For <laughs> the magic of Skype, we'll just bring on this way, right? Yes. Yeah. But it seems the internet connection is not quite good at the moment. So, okay. yeah, it's okay. Just go ahead with that. Yeah, well, we're just gonna go. We're just gonna run with it because that's how we are mm. here. We just uh, work around all the issues and work on all the the, the magic there. So, uh, so I at the beginning of the show, I gave a kind of a brief thirty second overview of what the uh, I believe it's Jogit workflow is all about. Uh, but I'm sure I did a horrible job. So, uh, Michael, why don't you uh, start by first explaining the problem that you're trying to solve with this project, and then explain how your Jogit workflow actually makes it work. Uh, well. 
to explain the problem, I'm just going to have to take you back a long way uh, to why we are actually doing what we're doing now. Jogate itself is a very, very young organization. It's a very young project, generally. Uh, I think it's been around for 15, 16 months, but the team behind Jogit go back a long way. About 10 years ago, we came together and we founded a different technology startup, uh, which we called the Media Shop. It's kind of weird because we didn't really do media and we weren't really a shop, but you know, we were geeks and advertising was another thing. But in any case, we took the Media Shop or TMS, we grew that to a regional entity, we grew it globally, and we finally took it public. Personally, I spent eight years doing that. And you know, when I left the company, it was an enterprise level systems integrator dealing with uh, customs development. And that's always been our tradition. It's been very steeped in software development. We've built everything from enterprise software to dot-com plays to web application development frameworks. And this was back in a time where there were very few web application development frameworks in the early 2000s. I think Struts was popular and Tapestry was around. Hibernate was barely in early alpha. So that's where we've come from. And when you spend eight years doing something and you tend to be very intimately acquainted with everything that you feel is wrong with the industry generally. And the reality of the fact is most customs development these days deal with process automation. Uh, it's a very big term, but the reality, it's, it's, it's actually a very simple thing that most people, do, well, everyone does right now. You know, if you implement a, a document management system or an HR process, you're essentially doing process automation. You're using technology to automate your processes. And, and that's what it means. And the bulk of custom development revolves around that area and that's exactly what Jogate is meant to do. It's an application builder, it makes it easy, it makes it fast for anyone to build web applications or process-driven web applications. Now, so let me understand here. So process-driven web applications, I mean, maybe you could say that almost everything is that. I mean, if I'm going to go, say, uh, you know, book an airline ticket or a, a rental car, I did a lot of that yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind. There's certainly a process you have to go through of figuring out what's available and then sorting through the, the possible options and seeing how they coordinate with each other and then saying, oh, is this the right price? I want to pay for this and so on. Uh, so maybe everything really is a web app or is a, is a, is a process application. But I think what you're talking about is the, is the more specific kind when when it's not just one person kind of going through a few steps, it's actually something complex that may involve many people or many departments. So it's more about enterprise level, right? Well, it doesn't necessarily need to be enterprise software. For instance, if you were a, a WordPress developer and you wanted to come back with a feedback module. So, you know, the way it works is someone online anonymously will post a feedback. You want some sort of notification. Once that comes to you, you get to do something with it, maybe issue a response. Something that simple is also process. So, so long as there are different roles involved and, you know, there, well, there are different processes at different times and different entities involved. Okay, so it really could be for something as small. Because you know, as I'm reading through the, the documentation, I'm seeing that this looks huge. It looks like you know, if I don't have 50 people using this, it doesn't make any sense at all. Right. But you're saying that maybe even I, as an individual web developer, building just a little sort of interaction site, might even use this stuff. Then, absolutely, absolutely. That and. I, th I think as we go along this interview, as we approach how we are looking at engaging the communities, you will see a lot of our efforts is actually, well, it's, a it's actually gauged towards the run-of-mill developers, even your SMEs, people who work with, you know, a Drupal or a, a WordPress or a Joomla, that applies to them as well. So long as there's application development involved, it will probably apply. Okay, because as, as an example here, maybe I, let's bring it back to a scale maybe that actually would apply to me you know, within the right. next month or two. Right. I, uh, one of my clients is, uh, is Inter Insight Cruises, the guys that put on the uh, technical conferences seven or eight weeks a year that I'm spending. Right. Me, takes me so much time away from here, actually. Um, 
And uh, they're looking at having me rebuild the uh, booking engine. So when somebody right. comes to the site, they have there's a sequence of things they have to go through. And if they have like a particular choice at one place where, okay, they're going to have like four people in the room instead of two people, I need to ask more questions and get the, all the details brought out. Uh, right. is, so this is something actually I could use Jogit for. Absolutely, absolutely. I've actually got a scenario that's a little closer to home as far as you're concerned. Um, not too sure how the majority of your interviewees go through it, but I basically posted, I sent you a mail or I posted you know, something on a Google Doc someplace. I, I really can't remember. It was a while ago. But that could be a process to you as well. All you need to do is create an online form. You can do it in two, two minutes. Create an online form with Jogate. When someone fills it up, it goes through a process, whatever the process is that you define. Ah, so in other words, like when I put out a request on these shows, they say, please, uh, you know, if you want to guest on the show, go to this web page or actually email me with uh, the suggestion. Of course, people email me the project. They never email the project leader like I tell them to. But let's say, that, let's say we actually worked it out where they could say they could email the project leader with a link that just says, here, go sign up and give me some info about what you are. I would get that as part of a workflow and then say, now you need to go look at my calendar to see when you want to actually be on. But I could have done all this inside Jogget then too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Or you could have written a plugin that looks into your calendar and tells them what the available dates are. It's entirely possible. Wow. Okay, so it does sound a little bit more at home. So, what's uh, what's your relationship to the project? Uh, you're the CEO, I guess. I am the CEO. I'm also very much a geek at heart. So, um, okay. <laughs> I'm most comfortable when I'm crunching code, actually. And the the most of us are actually engineers, and it gives us a a very deep sense of appreciation as far as software development is concerned, and a lot of pains that people go through. For instance, let's let's just take the scenario that we went through. You know, just automating your you know your interviewing process just scheduling people to do this show it's a very simple thing if you think about it as far as application development is concerned it's not terribly complex but to build it a and to maintain it b after usually takes you a lot more time than you should be spending on it and that's exactly why Jogi came about very cool and so Tianxun uh, what's your relationship to the project just so we can get that in the feed here right um, my main um, scope in this project is more on the consulting services, mm -hmm. and at the same time, also the the high the main behind the Twitter account for Jogger Workflow. So it's very much on the social media evangelizing as well. So, but as of services, it's mainly on the technical consulting part. Cool. If so, I can uh, paraphrase that, what he does, he travels the globe, he gives seminars, and he breaks a lot of hearts. <laughs> <laughs> So guys, I, I'm just still trying to make sure that I have a handle on it and our audience does. Um, so you mentioned a few of them, but who, who are the main competitors here? What, what closed source or even other open source applications um, are in this same space that you're working in? Well, the thing is, Workflow is a very general space. Uh, to be, we had to brand ourselves in a particular niche, so we chose Workflow. Um, the reality of the fact is the majority of the Workflow players deal a lot with systems workflow as opposed to human-driven applications. So for instance, if you were writing web services and I was writing web services and we needed some way to make that make sense or organize it, that's how ESBs came about. So the majority of them are actually targeted towards things that the human being doesn't see. And that's a great market, you know, but it's just not a market that we're particularly interested in. At the end of the day, we want to build human-driven workflow things that human beings see and interact with. And there are players doing this as well, but um, 
think you have to remember the fact that it wasn't too long ago that we were in well, different shoes and we were the ones evaluating these projects, evaluating these products for use in our organization. And we came across uh, well, a lot of challenges simply because most of these products were built not with application development in mind but with workflow specifically and that's what we're trying to shy away from. Workflow and BPM in general, well it, it is a market, it solves a specific need but if you take application development or software development in a broad sense, there are many places where it falls short and we're hoping to bridge those gaps. So can you give us maybe some more examples of where um, Jogit is used? Um, you know, who, who's using it? You, you don't even have to mention any company names if that's, you know, not, uh, not kosher. But you, right, you sure. know, give, give us some examples. Like, what have companies done with it? What, where have they implemented it? Where might we have seen it um, around, the, around the interwebs? Okay. Um, I didn't ask anyone for permission, so I'm not going to mention names. But um, our list of adopters currently range anywhere from 14,000 companies to large telecommunications large telecommunication companies to small startups. Uh, we have Fortune 500 companies using us to build their entire suite of internal processes. Basically, the web apps that power their entire internal organization, they use it to do that. We also have people who have um, online HR services, online publishing services. They use Jogit as a fundamental platform to build their entire business offerings. Mm -hmm. And well, one of the examples that I like to do is, um, I, I, I like to give this particular demo, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. You, we can actually build a full-fledged call center application. We can do it in five minutes with the use of plugin. It has full telephony integration through a web app. You'll send text messages and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a lot of fun and it's cool. But I think the best part about that is if, once again, if you were a Drupal developer or a WordPress developer, BPM technologies typically won't be something that applies to you in general sense. But where Jogit is concerned, once you've built that application, you can use our Drupal or WordPress plugin and the entire application fits seamlessly into your site. I think when you deal with application development, you have to appreciate the fact that a lot of it is done in specific contexts, in specific platforms, in specific technologies. And if we are sincere about wanting to help developers do that, we need to respect those boundaries and fit into them. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, how does Jogit actually uh, fit in with these various... I'm assuming you've made it easy for folks to, to incorporate this into their platform, whatever platform they're using. But talk about that. How do you do that? Do you have uh, specific uh, plugins for each platform or is it, you know, how does, how does it integrate? There are specific uh, plugins for each platform. I think the best part about Jogit is we started off with this intention in mind. So it wasn't something that was an afterthought or we didn't have to redesign it. The entire product is actually built on a plugin architecture. So Virtually everything is a plugin. And the stuff that we've written for WordPress, for Drupal, all those are open source. They're, they're built on open APIs that we expose anyway. So we're not the only ones who can do it. It's, well, it's just that I was messing around, so we decide, decided to. So as far as a WordPress user or a Drupal user or something along those lines is concerned, you build your stuff on Jogit, you apply the WordPress plugins in Jogit, and you will communicate with your WordPress seamlessly. You'll do your user negotiations, a single sign-on, everything that needs to be done. And when it shows up on your site, you know, that, that's just all you need to do. Yeah. Michael, you're breaking up just a little bit. So um, uh, just, just keep that in mind. Make sure you hold right. that mic up before I ask the next question. Um, okay. the, um, 
what do I need from a technology? I usually like to talk about the, the integration and the technology when we talk about these various uh, platforms. I mean, what do I need from a technology uh, uh, standpoint to make this work? Do I need a huge server to run this on? I, I'm guessing that I can run this on a separate server somewhere in my environment, and I'm just going to point to it uh, um, over the Ethernet network or whatever I'm attached to. I can, I can point to it separately, and all the calls go to a separate server, and then they come back to the, to the application server somehow. Yes, that's, that's exactly how it works. Uh, it's it's not really a SaaS play. It's it's not really a service. It's a product itself. You download everything and you can choose to host it. But we don't even host it for you if, even if you wanted to. So basically, it is a product. It is a web application. You install it on a server somewhere and you have access to it through any web browser. And the best part about Jogit is you build the application once and it will actually do all the necessary translations between any web browser, mobile devices. So once again, if we've built application, let, let's say we've built an application for Randall for his, you know, his interview process thing, we just have to build it once and any mobile user will have access to it. Oh, that's great because I keep telling developers yeah. um, on this show, you know, when we talk to them and, and out in the, you know, just when I'm, when I'm at conferences and stuff, I always try to tell them, make sure that when you make these applications, make them mobile uh, friendly because that, that's going to, you know, hugely increase uh, people's desire to adopt these. If, if they can do it once, like you say, and make it available on mobile platforms, that's great. And, of course, we've seen a lot, you know, anyone that's used a, a smartphone, um, not so much with the feature phones, but now with smartphones becoming more and more popular, becoming less and less expensive and more available for the general public, we've seen these types of, of web forms and, and so on become uh, much more pervasive because it's very easy now to interact with these forms where you have a virtual keyboard or, uh, in some cases, a real keyboard on your phone. You can actually do it. So I think that um, having that feature is fantastic. Um, is it um, when you say that they're available for mobile devices? How is how are you making that possible? Is it through a a mobile uh, optimized web platform, or are you actually uh, enabling people to create uh, applications that they can then um, put on either an Android or a or a uh, Apple uh, iPhone? Well, you, see, you can certainly create those applications if you wanted to. It doesn't come out of the box. So um, mobile-ready means there is a templating layer that does our rendering for us. And we do have a mobile-optimized uh, version whenever you access it through a mobile device. But uh, as, as far as uh, mobile clients are concerned, once again, we work on you know, an open API. So you know, the sky's the limit, whatever you want to build. Yeah. And then uh, maybe this is a question for Tensoon as well. I don't know. But, um, I, you know, I know that you said you do consulting. So I'm just kind of curious, is there a support? Um, um, I mean, is that how you're making money with this is by offering support and integration um, um, assistance? Yes, exactly. There are actually a few types of uh, channels that we can get some profits in a way. One of the main one is the consulting services. Second one is the training. And we do also sell some of the plugins for enterprises, which we actually sell in our marketplace. The URL is actually marketplace.joget.org. And that's a place that we do uh, showcase some of the enterprise plugins that we have. And one of the most uh, sellable plugin at the moment is actually the LDAP plugin that allows people to integrate into the uh, LDAP server as the directory implementation. So, um, are all of the um, are, are all of the plugins available for free as well, just not supported, or are the enterprise versions actually um, you know you can't get it any other way but to pay for it? Yeah. Um, there are some plugins which are available for communities, and uh, there are some that we actually develop ourselves and reserve for the enterprise subscribers. 
Okay. But so I'm, for the enterprise plugins, the source codes are not available publicly. Right, right. So I'm assuming though that the that the platform is open enough that if I wanted to um, do this completely, uh, you know, um, free as in beer, I, I could probably develop those plugins myself, right, using the the code that's yes. already available. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one, right. I think one of the intentions of the JoeGit Marketplace is also to allow our adopters to have some form of monetization. So if you've been developing stuff on it and it's cool and you think a lot of people will reuse it, by all means, sell it there and it's yours. So sell it for whatever you want. This is really interesting so far. I'm, I'm still trying to see, though, what am I doing to actually interact with this? I, I saw some of the demo videos, and it looked like all of your interaction, or primary part of your interaction, is web-based. In order to, say, build the forms or design the workflow and everything, you're basically interacting with, uh, with sort of a web-based interface. Is that, is that, am I getting the right impression? It is. It is. And it's done intentionally, so um, for ease of use, we're not big fans of having to install clients and to build it from there. It's very counterproductive. It's actually a client in itself that we run through WebStart. So everything actually runs off your browser. So in order to build an application, realistically, what you need is a web browser. That's all you need. Well, that always scares me a little bit. And I, I feel a little weird saying this coming from the Smalltalk world where, of course, Smalltalk has its own independent editor and everything. And I say it's always how cool that is. But right. there's all the downside of that, which is that uh, when I have to use a different interface system, I don't get the same version controlling things that I might have as a corporate standard. I don't get the same sort of, you know, special key bindings that I have on Emacs for my own uh, editing capability. Uh, do you get any kind of pushback that you have to build everything through your customized editors? Oh, um, if you're talking about building customized plugins, then you, you can use whatever editor you want. Um, as far as integration options is concerned, it ranges anywhere from web-neutral technologies like you know REST calls and JSON APIs to full-fledged OSGI plugins. So if you are a developer, you want to write a really cool plugin, you can actually do that through whatever IDE you want, package it according to OSGI standards, and then deploy it on JoeGit. But does that even mean I could replace the use of that thing that you could draw that says step one, step two, step three with my own editor? Um, well, the editor is actually a, just a workflow designer. What it does, it, it helps you design your workflow. It spits out XPDL, basically. XPDL is one of the standards in BPM. So if you wanted to use a different editor that also spits out XPDL, then you can conceivably do that. Oh, okay. So if I happen to have my favorite XPDL editor, I don't even know what that would look like, but I'm sure there's actually an Emacs mode for it. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it's a, uh, anyway, uh, or I could, I could write a Perl script that would probably convert whatever I wanted to that. Um, but uh, so, so I could actually interact with that. Okay, well that, so, but the basic way that you believe most people are interacting with this is sort of your, your design idea is that there's some interaction directly with your workflow editor, some interaction directly with your form builder, uh, how many other interfaces are there? Uh, there was like the user management console and a couple other things? Um, right. As far as managing the application is concerned, it can either go through JoeGit. And once again, everything is plugin based. So, for instance, if I wanted to not use JoeGit's user management, I wanted to use LDAPs. Just plug mm -hmm. in a plugin and you can do it from there. JoeGit will communicate with it seamlessly. So, um, as far as managing the application is concerned, managing your app. Your, well, your processes and your workflows, everything happens through the JoeGit console as well. So uh, if, you're, if you are talking about custom development, if you want to, to build custom plugins, then, well, you can build it from wherever you want, however you want, so long as it's OSGI compliant according to our interfaces, then you can deploy it on JoeGit. 
All right, so now let's just go back one more step and go, let's, let's see how this would actually work in, if I wanted to build it for, say, the, um, the, the interview process, just like you said. Right. So I right. would okay. install Jogit right. and get it working somewhere. I would right. uh, create my first sort of interface somehow uh, with a form builder of some kind, and I would think about my workflow. It would go from here to here to here. Right, uh, and then and then so all that all that as I'm doing that, I saw this. You, you push the deploy button a lot, so you as soon as that's deployed, I have a URL that I can hand somebody, and they can come right in and start using it. Absolutely. Okay, well that's simpler than I thought. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the the thing is, I'm not so sure if you want to hand someone a URL. I'm sure you have a site somewhere. You, I'm sure you want the form or the process to be in your site somewhere. So instead mm -hmm. of handing someone the URL, maybe you want to embed that process in your site and give them the URL to your site instead. Ah, okay, okay. Well, actually, you know, there's not a site like that for for uh, uh, Floss Weekly yet because it's oh, all wow. be part of this. Oh wow, we need to get you one. <laughs> oh no, no, no. It's yeah. It's it's. Uh, I'm sure that there's probably somebody screaming at the uh, at the co uh, cottage right now saying, "We could do that for you. You just haven't asked." So anyway, <laughs> but um, okay, but but so I would have Jogit installed there, and when people go to twit.tv/floss, they would see maybe a corner of it would be the. Uh, uh, suggest a guest uh, form or something, and then it would walk you through there. So it would actually right. be installed on the servers that run Twitch.tv then, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, start I'm starting to make sense of this. Now, what kinds of um, meta controls do you have? In other words, how do you control who can change the process? Well, uh, the user, well, the default user, uh, well, matrix is actually just based on administrator and users so you mm -hmm. can either create processes or you can't or you can use processes um, the actual controls within the processes that you build specifically really depends on the kind of process it is so what happens when you define applications or workflows is you need to first figure out what are the roles involved you associate roles to actual groups or users or groups of users and so as far as individual control is concerned for individual applications that you build it really really depends on you and your use case so that there isn't a hard and fast rule to that okay so I would probably have all the twit hosts uh, all the uh, the Floss Weekly hosts have like administration capability, or maybe it was just me because I'm the, probably the only one I want people messing with the workflow. Right. But um, but I, so I would have the, the the hosts all be in one group though, as being like approvers of of guest orientation and things like that. But then have like the public just have a certain level of access to some parts of the process. Then right? Sure, sure. As far as your process, well, I have no idea what your process is like. I'm I'm just assuming. But let's just go along the lines of someone's gonna submit a request. And then you have approvers that will see it. Once they approve, it comes up to you. You can either choose to say yes or no. If you say no, then everyone else down the line gets informed. If you say yes, then someone needs to process that and make an appointment. Or maybe that happens automatically, whatever. So what happens is when you design your workflow, you design it with those roles in mind. And those roles are very abstract, and you can either assign them to groups or users or groups of users. So, you know, for instance, if Flost is, you know, running on an LDAP, you would probably want to you know, hook that up with whatever you've built in Jogit. Now, what, what do you see the biggest barrier to adoption for something like this? I mean, when, when people look at this at first and they go, this might work for us, but, but my God, it really needs feature X before we can move forward. And what, what, what are some of those feature Xs that you get pushback on? Actually, the best part about this is whatever feature X you want, you can kind of build them yourself because everything is a plugin. I'm not exaggerating by saying this. Everything is a plugin. It could be a plug-in that completely overrides your security matrix, or it could be mm -hmm. a plug-in that 
basically is a field in the forum. It could be that small. So, you know, anything that you want, you can potentially build. But coming back to the uh, barrier of entry, I suppose um, I, one of the biggest challenges is in mindset. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of hackers tend to be very comfortable with hacking out code, whether or not it's efficient, whether or not that's the best way to do it, really is beside the point. That really is their comfort zone. So even with a technology like that, that makes it so much easier for them to do it. There's a lot of resistance to pick up new technology. I suppose uh, the, the feeling of a loss of control is very prevalent for, for most geeks. And you know, I'm a geek myself, so I can certainly understand that. But uh, mm -hmm. the way we get around doing this is to enlarge our base as much as it, it's possible. So whatever plugins that can be built, we'll go ahead and do that. And we certainly encourage a lot of our adopters and our communities to go ahead and do that as well. So when the features become so rich that it makes a, it's a no-brainer for you to adopt a technology like that, I suppose those resistance will go away. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the technology. So I want to we haven't actually mentioned what any of this is written in or what kind of languages you need to use to talk to the API. So let's let's get a little geeky here and go. So what's it what's it written in and maybe how many lines of code is it and and uh, how long has the code base been in development? Uh, I think it's been in development for 15 months now. It's written entirely on a J2E stack, so we're, we're all very Java people. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't really know how many lines of codes, but I believe our Sona should be public. Some, if it's not, someone would be furiously pinging me on my IM right about now. It's not doing <laughs> that, so I'm, I'm guessing I'm right. Uh, okay. But you know, the entire code base is, is uh, completely uh, available for your download. So. Uh, as far as integration option, well, the product is built on J2E platform, but as far as integration option is concerned, it, we try to be as web neutral as we possibly can. So you could be a Python guy or, or a PHP guy. It really doesn't matter because a lot of this goes through... How about you know, Perl? How about Perl? You can do that too, sure. Any web okay, technology. Right. Well, beyond web technologies, you can still do that. You know, if you can make use of JSON APIs or REST calls and stuff like that, it'll still work for you. If you okay. want to build really, really fundamental, really big, complex plugins, we advise you to go through the OSGI plugins and build it on Java. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, in order to add to this, I will probably need to know some technologies like that. Uh, and just to address your other comment, though, I, I, you know, it's yes, if you have something that makes the task at hand simpler. My experience of that, whenever somebody tells me there's something that's going to make my tasks simpler. I always know, yes, but there is a cost to figure out the tool in the first place, and I have to be able to pay that up front and, and get enough times using it to be able to justify the simpler tool down the road. Is Now, I, I suppose you've done everything you can to make the upfront cost simpler, but is there a typical time to deploy that somebody really you know, probably can't put anything out for like at least a month or two after getting their hands on this? Well, I really hope that's not the case. If it was, then you know, we're not doing our job very well. <laughs> okay. So, but um, the typical time to deploy really depends on the, the familiarity with technology generally, as far as the adopter is concerned. I've, I've seen people go into production mode within a week, uh, having built, you know, whatever processes they want. And then, you know, while work that, well, a lot of adopters actually use Jogit as a fundamental layer in their technology platform. So those kind of exercises typically take a lot longer because you know they require a lot more integration, a lot more consideration, I suppose. If you're building a product or a service that is meant to power your business, you probably want to do a lot of strategizing about how best to fit the, the solution in, no matter how good it is. 
So um, it really depends on the use case. If you're looking to build processes and you want to be up and running, you want it on your website and you want it now, then it could be really, really quick. You know, just a couple of days will take. But if you're planning to use Jogate as a layer of technology that will power a lot of what you do in the future, then you might probably want to sit back, stand back a little bit and just strategize. And that might take anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of months, really. It really depends on the use case. So how about uh, capacity planning on this? Is there, uh, has this been scaled to, say, uh, maybe being the central HR form for a 5,000-person uh, company and, and like how many hits per second does that actually involve and how much hardware you need to take care of that? There is capacity planning. Uh, you have to remember a lot of our adopters are actually quite enterprise in nature, which is surprising because that wasn't really our target market in the first place. Hmm. But um, a lot of them actually came on board, and in an enterprise environment, you have well, exactly what you said, thousands of concurrent users and so on and so forth. It seems to be holding up pretty well, actually. Um, we've tried as much as possible to, well, to be faithful to a lot of scaling technologies that Java does provide. We've, we are big fans of technology. We've been doing this for a while now. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, as, as far as scaling options are concerned, you know, whatever you have in your typical web app is certainly available to you here. Okay, so let's, uh, let's get practical here again. Uh, so let's say I've got a company... Oh, I don't know, some random company that might have uh, maybe like 100 developers, 100 or 150 developers that have to go through various workflows. Like a, like if we wanted to replace their bug tracking system with something right. like this, because it actually sounds like that might be something that's close to this. Um, and so they're going to probably be, uh, I don't know, working on simultaneously two or three hundred bugs live, but have like a backlog of two or three thousand bugs or two, two, maybe right. ten times that much. Right. Is, would one little server over in the corner do it for that size of group? Or are you going to have to have like, you know, 10 machines that all kind of have some cross connections so they can fail over and stuff? Well, it really depends on the scenario and it really depends on the kind of load that you're talking about. But I, I, I think what I'm trying to get at is the fact that this scales horizontally. Uh, we don't tie into any particular vendor. So, it, well, when you download the, uh, the product, it comes bundled with a Tomcat and MySQL simply because it's free. If you wanted to, you know, upsize that to say an Oracle, that's certainly doable. We are, we are writing on I, Hibernate, I believe. Is that Hibernate or JPI? I probably should know this actually. But it's writing on an OR platform. So basically, you know, you can just remap it to any database you want. You can cluster your application servers. It doesn't need to be Tomcat. If you don't do it any way or any other vendors, you can do that too. So. Um, there, there is no hard and fast rule on exactly what's required. It really depends on your situation. But um, however you need to scale in a traditional sense, all those options are available to you. Okay, and, and one other thing that's just coming to mind here. Um, how much of deployments of Jogit are brand new processes that weren't being handled some other way? And how much of this is transition? And if there's a lot of transition from some previous existing process, what's been your biggest complaints from, from or maybe even praises from people who are doing that sort of work? Um, well, I don't really know exactly how much are brand new or how much are, are well, ported over. But I think one of the biggest value as far as Jogit is concerned is well, software development is never purely about building something. You, if you take a long view on it, it's about what you need to do to maintain it after it's built. And that's usually where the pain point comes in. Uh, you know, you, you can have someone build something. It could be really cool and work for a little while. If the guy leaves, you're kind of, well, you're not in a good situation. I almost said something I'd regret there. But um, <laughs> yeah, but as, as far as Jogit's concerned, what 
why we believe it makes a lot of difference to a lot of organizations who want to do this is because not only do you get to build it fast, maintenance, it's not a huge issue. And I, I want to bring us back to the marketplace in a little bit. And, and it's quite interesting that you, you brought it up because I was kind of hoping someone would take up this project so that I don't have to. But yeah, you know, bug tracking system sounds like a really good fit you know, for, for what Jogit does. I would love it if one of our adopters came along and built a really cool bug tracking process and then decides to sell it on the marketplace. And the best part about that is if, Randall, if you wanted a bug tracking system, you could buy whatever he has put up and tweak it to suit your needs. And you don't mm -hmm. really need to wait through his technological backlog or his legacy codes. It should be very, very easy for you to tailor it to your organization. Well, that's why I asked about the bug tracking system because that's one of those things that in a technical organization it always seems to be the weirdest combinations of things. There's, you know, there's 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 the initial capture which is like weird because you have to figure out well this could be a bug that relates to a screen dump or this could be a bug that relates to some line of code that I know is wrong or this could be a bug driven by product marketing ideas, and so you have to somehow capture you know 17 different ways the information can come in. And then, invariably, you have to manage priorities on it. You have to manage approvals of the result. We have to probably manage two levels of approvals because it's probably the release manager as well as the sort of the local engineer, the manager that's going to be able to release off on it. And it's it's one of these things that never gets done very well. And I, I hate to say that because, you know, there's some really good tools out there. I mean, in the Pearl community, we have RT and a bunch of other things are out there that are sort of trying to cover this area. But everything seems to be a little messed up about this. I'm wondering if, you know, starting with Jaga or something, we could probably get something interesting done. I'm just speculating, of course. That's what I do. You, I would send you a few t-shirts if you decide to champion that cause, actually. But um, <laughs> I, I think what you've touched on is the pain point itself, the nature of processes. Because when you deal with processes, it's something that's very intimate to each organization. And the reality of the fact is very few, I don't think any organization works the, entire, the exact same way. If you put two companies together, you know, the exact same size, the exact same vertical, they could, you know, even have the exact same kind of people working with them. They're going to work differently. That's just human nature. It's, that's just the way it rolls, you know. And the, the fact is, when you deal with software development, you're usually stuck with two options, two paradigms. You either buy or you build. If you buy an off-the-shelf product, you're stuck with it. Tough. You know, if it doesn't apply to you, too bad. Just figure it out, you know, work around it. And if you build, it's going to be okay for a little while. You know, someone's going to come in, study your processes, build a tailor-made solution to you. But one thing we have to remember is processes deal with people. <laughs> you know, people change. When people change, processes change. And when you have technology that's built to support those processes, those things kind of need to evolve as well. So that's usually where it becomes really messy very quickly. And that's exactly what we hope to address. So, um, so let me ask you a little bit, kind of going from there and, 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 and kind of transitioning into something similar. So I'm kind of curious what um, uh, Jogut is, is built on. What other open source libraries are you using? Uh, what, you know, what, what might I need to have installed on a server in order to enable Jogit to work correctly? Well, actually, uh, Jogit's built, or, well, if you download the installer for Jogit, it's fully fledged, fully functional. If you wanted to do a source build yourself, we have an entire Maven prompt setup. So, you know, if you're familiar with Maven, you really shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that. I think if you have to start worrying about how to make those builds, then we probably didn't do a very good job. So basically, if it's a source build, just check out the source. And if you have Maven set up, it'll download whatever library dependencies that you have. And we do make use of a number of open source technologies, a huge number of open source technologies, really. Um, 
anything from Apache Commons to the Hibernate Suite and so on and so forth. But uh, if you just plan to use the product without actually going through the codes, download it, install it, and it works. And I'm assuming there's packages available, correct, for the major distributions, Ubuntu, Red Hat, etc.? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And then what license, actually, I don't think we've talked about this yet, what license are you actually actually using for Jogit? Uh is running on a GPL. Okay, GPL 2, 3? GPL 2, I believe. Okay. Um, and was there a particular reason you chose that license versus other licenses? Well, we started thinking about this quite a ways back, and back when we started talking about this, um, I, I think the GPL 3 came up not too long ago. We felt that the license was still a little immature. Um, we really wanted to see someone else do it and see what the implications are first. But there wasn't a strong sense of whether it should be version 2 or version 3. But it was important first, you know, for it to be GPL. We wanted to make sure that we drive community adoption and that, you know, the evolution of the product is, is something that's forefront in our mind. And, you know, being open source, we really hope that uh, we would have a lot of participation, a lot of contributions as far as community engagement and involvement was concerned. So that's primarily where, why we went with GPL. As far as the version 2 or version 3, it was just a matter of timing, really. Yeah. And, and then what about, um, you know, community involvement? Do you get a lot of community contributions back to, to Jogit itself? And we talked about plugins and things, but I'm just, I'm just kind of curious what kind of uh, contributions are, are coming back from the community. Do you, um, uh, you know, do, do, you, do you work together with the community quite often to, 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 build, to work on problems and things? Absolutely, we do. Um, right now, we are growing at a, well, quite a good rate actually. We've overachieved our numbers by a good 50% for the first year. We're seeing a five times 5x growth. Uh, we've been in, we're in the third, fourth month of our second year. We're actually looking at a 10 times growth. It's a little ambitious, but I'm fairly certain we can do it. Um, to be perfectly honest, right now, the majority of our adopters tend to be consumer of the technology rather than contributors of it. There has been contribution, and we're certainly very appreciative of it. Someone's actually, well, again, I didn't ask for permission, so I better not mention names, but we have some of our uh, adopters who actually came up and contributed a client, you know, that basically pings you whenever you have something in your inbox, which is really cool, you know, for a web technology, and we certainly appreciate those things. But um, as as far as actual source check-ins, it's been fairly limited. Uh, the majority of them have been in form of bug fixes. Again, we really, really do appreciate those contributions as they come. I'm hoping to drive it further, though. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, bug fixes have been the main thing. I mean, so so what else? What else do you? Where else do you need help? Do you need help? documentation? Do you need help in, in coding? I mean, I mean, this is your chance to kind of call out to the community and, and ask, for, ask for help. So, so what particularly would you like to see a little bit more community involvement in? Well, the thing is I hope, well, I believe actually that, you know, if you are uh, developing software in any form or fashion, it's a fervent hope that this would give some sort of value to you. So take it, use it, build something cool on it. And if you do build something cool on it, there's always a marketplace option for you to either monetize or give it away for free. And I hope that sparks a viral movement for a lot of people to contribute anything from plugins to full-fledged applications. Uh, code, code contributions is always very, very well received um, about fixes. Just basically be a part of the community. And I, I think the majority of our community engagement and our community contribution now comes in the form of translation. Uh, we've always envisioned this to be a global game and it certainly makes sense globally. So we I can't remember how many languages we have going concurrently being translated right now. Tian Sun will probably be able to give you a better number on that. Yeah. 
You know, I'm just reminded, I don't, I don't know why I didn't bring this up earlier, but I'm just reminded that one of my um, clients, one of my other clients, um, a long-term client of actually mine, um, brought me in a few years ago because the center organization had attended some sort of fancy presentation about, boy, you know, you all your workflows ought to be automated by one central system, and we have exactly the system for you. Oh, sure, you'll... You'll have to install Oracle, and, and all of your existing systems will have to interface to this somehow using this really ugly RPC call that has undocumented fields and fields that don't work because we haven't finished the implementation yet. But by the way, this I think this will solve it for you across your organization. We're talking to an organization that has multiple departments and, and uh, multiple levels of, of, of technical skill and lots and lots. Of, unfortunately, it was tied a little bit into the government, so it had some government approval for some of the loops and things. and. Oh, it was just horrid. So I remember that at some point in the work I was doing for them, and they, were, they weren't paying me cheap. These, these were people that had enough money to pay me my normal rate. And I know that, that uh, they, they, at some point, we actually I sat down with my main contact there, and I said, you know, we're just going to have to use this whole workflow management thing as a dumb box, where all we do is we do all the code on our side in Perl, to right. identify the steps and figure out the workflow and 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 then move things forward there and we're just going to use the one update function that says update status and so we got rid of all of their workflow stuff <laughs> and just we're using this giant oracle installation with this really crappy interface can i say crappy on twitch tv i guess i can uh, well this really horrible <laughs> interface uh, and and it was just and we did the whole thing in pearl i built the, in fact i was looking at various pearl workflow modules just to make sure that we could take care of the whole thing and right. okay so now why i'm reminded of that well first off it sounds like the, the one thing that we kept looking at was, oh, my God, if, if only we had the source code to the crappy Oracle-based program, we right. could at least fix the things that were broken in there. Right. Uh, the other thing is that uh, what we were seeing is that we needed more malleability. We had workflows that the system didn't represent well, which is why we had to keep building it in and integrating it in with the Perl side and right. then just using the update status function on the other side. Now... I've just given you the perfect opportunity to really sell jog it, knowing that there are problems like what I just said out there. Right. I think the biggest issue that you, or the biggest challenge that you faced with was someone built a product and someone expected you to make the necessary changes to make sure that product basically played a key role in you know, whatever infrastructure and whatever deployment that you have. And that's precisely what we didn't want to do. That's exactly why we went with the plugin architecture in place. We made no assumptions on your environment and what you might possibly need. So if halfway along the line using the product, you decide that this, well, this portion of the product doesn't necessarily apply, it's not good enough, we don't want users to be managed this way, we need application plugins to do something else, write a plugin, plug it in. That's all it takes. Wow. And the other thing I see is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, even the way they were, the corporate, the head of the organization was selling this new, you know, workflow management system to us uh, in the individual departments, it was like, okay, well, it's, it should be flexible enough to handle most of your, the processes that you're using already. And they just had no awareness of how complex some of the processes were. Like, this thing gets started in this, by, you know, by by, the, by this person, but it has to go to one of these three people to approve that level of it. And if it's greater than $10,000, it's got to go to this guy as well. Right. And it was just all these complex things that 
were not modeled very well. And I was looking right. at the, some of the demos, and you had this nice little, you know, if-then-else decision, and I saw right. that you could do some fairly complex math in there with variables being carried along through the, right. the tactic and stuff. Can, can, do you think I could model most of my workflows directly with that, or would I have to go to a plugin fairly quickly? Well, uh, it really depends on the complexity. You know, the, the situation that you've just brought up is is actually not uncommon and mm -hmm. you know for stuff like that you should be able to do it fairly quickly but you know I'll, I'll give you another scenario we have sure. an implementation where uh, it's uh, well I can't really say what it is but you know uh, someone in the public will basically submit an application of a certain sort and someone will need to process that application now depending on the fields uh, a certain values the niche the verticals of that application it would go to a certain department and then who exactly in the department needs to, you know, process that really depends on the workload. You know, who's doing a lot, who's not doing enough, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, those kind of rules probably apply only to that one organization. You know, no one mm -hmm. else is going to use it. But that's exactly where the plugin architecture comes in. Just build that plugin that makes sense to your business and plug it into Jogit. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, I, I, I'm sure we've only scratched the surface of how well this would fit in, but I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about it now. I'm actually starting to think that there's a couple of clients I could recommend this to already, which is nice because that's how I make my money is taking something like this and adapting and adopting it for my clients. So uh, I'm, you've inspired me. I want to go look some more at this. Uh, like everything we do here on Floss Weekly, I always want to go out and now go install it right away and go play with it. But uh, it definitely has, has been nice. Uh, Jensen, I know we haven't talked much to you, but is there any last words you want to put into the show before we have to let you go? Yeah. Um, just now, Michael hasn't uh, mentioned something about the translation, but I think mm -hmm. I would like to thank quite a number of contributors mm -hmm. who have contributed to our translations. Because at the moment now, we have already got about 96% of completion for Korean language, and it's going quite well for Spanish as well. So if let's say anyone who would like to travel in Spanish, I will really appreciate that. Oh, that's really good because I know that the uh, the Spanish market is so often overlooked, especially also Spanish, and I'd have to possibly also say uh, Brazilian Portuguese because that's uh, since it's such a dialect of Portuguese that you have to end up having some special translations for there. But that's a huge market in South America. South America is really kicking in in terms of open source development and stuff, especially the initiatives that a lot of the governments have had to say we're getting rid of everything that's Windows and Microsoft and we're going to all go open source. Sounds like Jogit actually would be would be perfect for government. Doing all the filing and paperwork and everything, making it electronic. Uh, and so, uh, with that, on that note, Michael, any last things you want to put in here? Uh, well, the only thing I have to say is, wow, I had no idea you were allowed to mention names. This interview would have been a lot more fun if I were aware of that from the start. But, but otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> we talk. We can do whatever content we want. It's our freaking show. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm an open source guy, so you know where my loyalty lies. But, um, but generally, yeah, that's that's basically what we're after. We believe that uh, we can make application. We can evoke a paradigm change as far as application development is concerned, web application development anyway. And I, I truly believe that if you are building any kind of software, this would give value to you. So take it, use it. The only thing we ask is build something cool with it and come back once in a while. We do some really cool stuff and we'd love to share that with you. Um, uh, one last question too. I mean, you might have covered this while I was busy looking at my notes, but uh, community, you have, uh, do you have like IRC channels and do you have any physical get-togethers yet? Are you up to that level or are you still just all virtual? Uh, most of it's virtual. I'm hoping that I can have my first hackathon here in the Bay Area. I, well, my email isn't on that little well, bottom line thingy, but it's michael at jogit.org. Mm -hmm. I will 
buy drinks for the first 10 people who emails me and tells me that they want to come for the hackathon. Oh, wow. That's, this, a, that's a great offer. <laughs> this, this might actually be a really, really bad idea because I, I was actually in Palo Alto. I, was just, I, I just came for a talk in Stanford, so I was just sitting down minding my own business. I was at a Starbucks, I remember, and uh, mm-hmm. I was just messing around with some code, and I happened to tweet, you know, I was in Starbucks. I was using their Starbucks hash, I believe. I'm in Starbucks. So, you know, anyone who comes up to the guy wearing the Joget t-shirt, a Bayou coffee, you know, I think in a space of 45 minutes, I was broke. So I'm not sure that was good. <laughs> well, that just says something about the uh, price of Starbucks coffee, I think. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did I read somewhere? No, no, you're going to kill me if this is wrong. Are you giving a presentation at Oscon this year? I hope to give a presentation at Oscon. I've actually submitted a proposal. I'll, I hope to also be speaking in Drupal's WordCamp in Stanford sometime in early April. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really not a very slight Excel person. So whatever presentation usually deals with demos and code. So just come along and, and just give it a look. That's the best kind. That's definitely the best kind, yes. Well, I, I appreciate you guys both coming on today uh, and all the technical difficulty that we had to go through to get this on. I just about knocked over my Diet Coke cup over here. Um, <laughs> that's why that look was immediately a glance to the side for those who are watching the video. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on and talking about the product, and uh, I'm sure that we'll be uh, you'll get a lot more interest there. And I, I, cause I'm probably going to download it now. I'm going to go play with it because uh, you guys got me interested, and it sounds like something I can make money at. So that always works for me. So thanks a lot for being on the show, guys. Thanks, fellas. We appreciate your time. Great, great. So that was uh, Michael Yap and Tinsu Law talking to us about the Jugget Workflow project. So what do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think it's a, a pretty interesting project. I mean, um, you know, certainly there's a lot of competition out there. Um, I think more than more than more than you typically realize. There's a lot of commercial uh, uh, applications that, even if they're not doing workflow specifically, they've got workflow built into their to their um, uh, 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 the rest of their applications. So um, I think that this is good, though. I think it fills a, a niche. You know, just like all open source software, I think that this particular software fills a niche. Certainly, it's a niche that 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 they had as they were talking about their history, something that was needed. And so, and I really like the fact that uh, you know, it's there's plugins. Um, I like the plugin architecture. I really think that that's mm-hmm. uh, uh, very user. It makes it a very user friendly um, uh, um, ecosystem to uh, to use. And I think also the fact that it uh, it works really well for mobile applications and there's built in support for mobile environments. I think that is really really huge. So I think that um, you know those two things are really really interesting. Well, and, and you know, as much as I was sort of, uh, you know, maybe, um, I hate to say this, but like poo-pooing and like having a, a customized editor for workflows, I think that that actually, having watched the videos, I can see that for uh, someone who's not like a dedicated full-time programmer, to, to be able to kind of say, I really want this to happen than this, or I want to know, you know, where the decision, and, and be able to edit that and interact with that, you know, this is more the kind of thing that... Uh, you know, a, a technician can do rather than having to require the brains of a programmer. Uh, now the technicians are going to be mad at me. But, you know, it's, it's like a different level of knowledge and understanding. I mean, there's, there's some really geeky stuff that we get to do that, that uh, nobody else gets to do. And it's nice that the workflow could be managing that. And the importance of that is, I think, the malleability is that um, I don't know. Um, the, it's, it's from time to time, um, it's clear to me that we're doing processes in an organization simply because that's the way the software was built two years ago to track the process. And we can't like add an extra approval step without doing it sort of out of the system. And I, I like the idea that this is malleable. That like on Friday, we can decide, 
oh no, this needs to also be approved by a second level manager and have that deployed on Monday and not have to bring in a consultant for three weeks again to get that set up. So I'm really looking forward. Uh, if you listen to this show uh, and you start implementing Jogit, uh, drop me some email, Merlin at Stonehenge.com, and let me know uh, what inspired you and where you want to carry it in and uh, and what you're doing with it because I, I think this is really kind of an interesting project and I hope it, uh, I hope it inspires a lot of people to do some more stuff. Um, having said all that, uh, other things to send me email about are our upcoming guests. So let me get quickly to my upcoming guests list here. Uh, unless you had anything else to say, Aaron, about the current but, project? Well, only that the opinions expressed by Randall Schwartz about the crappy Oracle software are not, do not necessarily <laughs> reflect the views of Aaron Newcomb, uh, <laughs> who gets his paycheck from, from Oracle. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please, let me distinguish. Oracle, the software from some guy's code written that uses Oracle. There we go. That's good. <laughs> good the crappy <laughs> was completely applying to the some guy's code written to use Oracle. Uh, Oracle itself is a fine product. And as long as it pays your paycheck, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> he says very carefully, backpedaling just yes, slightly. Yes. So uh, next week, I've got uh, Terrence Schreiber coming up from the 2600 Hertz project, which is a... Uh, uh, telephony, sort of top to bottom, asterisk, free switch, bunch of other stuff in it. I really don't know the scope of it yet, and I won't know the scope of it until he sends it in his form on Sunday. <laughs> and uh, the following week, I've got uh, Gilad Braca, who I've been looking forward to speaking to for a long time. I believe I bumped into him at one of the conferences, but he is one of the original developers or one of the key developers in the small tech world over the years, but he's just a really brilliant guy. And he's been he's managed to uh, generate something that looks a lot like small talk, but has a lot more like zones of, of access and stuff. So it'd be great for sandboxing. It would be great for just understanding to really get rid of globals by replacing them all with regionals. He's uh, He's pretty smart about all this stuff, and he's going to come in and talk about Newspeak, which is the language he's got that's sort of exploring all of those issues. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I haven't booked Q2 yet. I know a couple weeks ago I said I'm going to start booking Q2. I've been lazy. No, sorry. I've been very, very busy. <laughs> And therefore, <laughs> I haven't gotten to Q2 yet, but I'm going to be uh, sending out the emails this afternoon. So hopefully by next week's show, we'll hear a lot about Q2 and uh, 13 more guests will line themselves up in some sort of nice formation coming in on the landing strip there. Uh, let's see what else I got here. Um, I'm going to be in L.A. for the next few weeks. So if you want to meet up with me, uh, I'd be happy to hook up there at, the, uh, at some random client down there that I may be working for. Um, I think I plugged that clip way too much time in the video here. Uh, and so uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N, uh, to find out what I'm doing while I'm hanging out in L.A. or to hook up with me because I do read anybody who tweets at me. I read all those. Uh, very, uh, very happy people do that and say, oh, let's go have, uh, let's go out for dinner or something. I'm really happy with that. Uh, one of the things that's happened since the last time I talked is um, Starship Sofa, who I do uh, podcasting for, do uh, narration of science fiction stories, has released another of my uh, pieces. This is a 55-minute piece. Actually, a guy, uh, David Levine, I used to work with in, uh, at uh, Textronics many, many years ago, uh, has, is also now a famous science fiction author, and I got to read one of his pieces, so it's really nice. It's, it's called A Passion for Art. It's show number 177 of Starship Sofa at starshipsofa.com, and so I've narrated a number of pieces for them, uh, using the big blue Yeti mic here that you might see here if you're watching the video, and I'm very happy for people to go find out about Starship Sofa. I think it's a really, really great uh, pr uh, program. Uh, two hours each week with uh, narrated stories, with... Uh, 
with uh, um, interviews with some famous science fiction authors, uh, news in the science fiction community, some short uh, factual pieces from time to time. Yeah, go check out starshipsofa.com. That's a really, really good podcast. And, uh, um, okay, so I've done all my plugging for today. Aaron, where, where can we find you and what would you be doing? Well, you can always go to thesourceshow.org where late last, late last night I released uh, another uh, episode of The Source. So this one is from Scale. So it's the uh, podcast that I recorded down at Scale a couple of weekends ago and uh, finally got that out the door. So uh, if you were not at Scale and you want to find out what Scale is about, uh, go check it out. I got interviews with uh, Lee Honeywell, um, who did uh, one of the opening keynotes. She's, uh, she's involved with Hackerspaces. Um, also, uh, Jane Silber, for, uh, CEO of Canonical, uh, have an interview with her. So if you want to find out what Ubuntu was talking about at scale and what their plans are for the future, uh, go check that out as well as uh, one of the interesting thing I did on this episode, and it's at the end, actually, after I sign off, I did lightning interviews from the from the expo floor. So all these booths that were set up that you typically get a chance to walk around and talk to people. Um, I did like one minute interviews with each, or not all of them, but as many as I could, all the community ones anyway, uh, to just to just try to get them, help them out and get their message out, you know, because that's really what it's all about. So, um, so go check that out at thesourceshow.org. And uh, I'm going to see if you're watching the live stream, I'm going to see if Alex will, will cue this up for us after we, uh, after we wrap up. You know, it's really admirable what you did there to actually go talk to the community guys. Because I know that it's some of those I love to talk to, but they're not quite like something we would have for a full 45-minute show. So to have like little snippets at least of what they're doing and how they're working together, it's really good. And I know you did, I think you did a pretty long piece. If it's not already in your feed, it might be coming up soon on the, on Linux uh, Fund, right? You did a Linux Fund interview? Uh, I didn't do it. It wasn't a long interview. That was one of the lightning interviews that we did. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's in there. Um, also very interesting. Um, you know, I wish I had done, I wish I had had time to do a longer interview with the Libra office folks. Um, uh, you know, that was, if, if you watch it, if you watch their little spot that they did, they basically were thanking the community for all their support um, over the over the past few months. So, um, so yeah, it just gives everybody a little chance to kind of tell their story, what what's important, you know, gives them a chance to mention local meetups or what, something like that. Something that, um, you know, people that didn't go to the conference might not necessarily have access to otherwise. Well, I appreciate that. That's definitely a good thing for you to do. So uh, without further ado, though, I see we're getting the uh, time signal coming up at me in the corner of my ear here. So I better say, oh, I'll just do what we normally say, which is we'll see you all next. <laughs> Let's see if I can do it right here. We'll see you all again next time on Floss Weekly. <laughs>